there was a moment uh, not so long ago when when Australian designers and stores, well, they, they filled local wardrobes with locally imagined and made frocks and finery. Uh, that was then. Now, well, thanks to that same complex set of forces that seems to have turned almost everything into global uniformity, uh, from greyish apartment living to the ubiquity of stealth attire and normcore, suddenly... Suddenly, we are less Alana Hill and a little more, a bit more Uniqlo. Uh, What happened? Well, fortuitously, uh, for our purposes, uh, a a piece appeared recently in the the Guardian website by Lucien Tonti. It's an encyclopedic examination of this phenomenon. Uh, Lucien Tonti is a regenerative fashion researcher, writer and consultant, and she has charted the collapse of Australian fashion. (laughs) She kindly joins us now to walk us through this somewhat bleak tale. Lucien, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be here with you, Jonathan. Uh, Things took a, a slightly grim turn of events at some point in our recent past. Yeah, well, you know, like a lot of these kind of complicated things that it was coming for a, a, a long time. We had this, you know, amazing garment industry, um, you know, mainly mainly concentrated around Flinders Lane in Melbourne and um, Surrey Hills in Sydney. And we had uh, this really wonderful, and we still do have these really wonderful, talented designers who mm. were able to kind of utilize that and build these really impressive businesses. And there was this golden era um, kind of in the late 1990s and um, the early 2000s up to kind of 2015 where we saw, you know, names like you mentioned, Alana Hill and Lisa Ho, Kit Willow, uh, Sasson Bide, uh, you know, able to build these really impressive global brands and I don't know if you remember shopping back then. Um, I certainly do. It was it, it was so rich in kind of what you could find and the clothes that we were able to buy. And I still have pieces from that time. I was working at Scanlon Theatre. I worked for Willow. I worked for Josh Gucci, um when I was coming up through the fashion industry. And it struck me when I was researching for this story how mm. much more intricate and detailed these pieces were. And even just going through the old pieces in my own wardrobe, how – I was really struggling to find anything of comparable quality and design. And so that was kind of the impetus for the story, kind of wanting to dig into what forces had changed and reshaped the industry to, you know, what we see today. Well, you begin the piece at a place called The Turn in in Punchbowl in Sydney, and you're there marvelling, as you say, of of these these pieces and the fabric and the time and the effort that has gone into producing these items and it's, it's that seems to be a thing lost. Yeah, and it's lost for a number of reasons. You know, these really amazing intricate garments had, uh, you know, embellishments and uh, other details that now the costs of labour make much more difficult to produce. Um, we're much more aware of fashion's impact on the environment and mm-hmm. designers are more conscious of those things. You know, there was this one jacket that I talk about in the piece, the Sasson Bai jacket that was covered in sequins across the shoulders, you know, like so thick with sequins that it looked like kind of padded scales. Um, and that was something that was really signature to their brand. And when I spoke to Heidi Middleton, about that jacket, she said, you know, for a number of reasons, now we wouldn't be able to make anything like that with her new label, which is called Art Club. And so, uh, you know, the turn is this very special place. It's um, 
an enormous warehouse out in Punchbowl and they uh, are dealing mainly with um, youth garments that are donated and they filter them off. So they have a couple of different tiers of retail. One is kind of the lowest range and then they have five stores around Sydney that kind of offer the middle tier and then they keep the really precious. And it's not just Australian garments, but a lot of Australian garments um, and designer garments for their website which is called you um, the turn. So if you want to have a look at that, it's kind of it's really like walking down memory lane. It's it's a wonderful place. Yeah. Well, t- take us more into those memories of of the nineties. I mean, you've mentioned some of the names already, but a, a picture of that Australian fashion landscape of the nineties. Well, look, you know, I mean, I spoke to Akira Isagawa for the piece. He was a wonderful designer that was coming up during that time. I also spoke to Alana Hill and. You know, these designers really, they were able to kind of um, capture something really unique in what their customers were looking for and to create these kind of really, really beautiful um, clothes and, you know, often with really expensive fabrics, printed silks and, you know, beading embellishments and uh, things that take a lot of work to kind of to make and to produce and uh, produce at a significant cost. But because of their, what they were, the kind of, audience they were able to capture in Australia, they were also able to capture an audience overseas. And so, you know, Alana Hill talked about being sent, being flown first class to New York and her collection being in the windows at Barney's and, um, (laughs) you know, also at Brown's in London. And Akira was the same, you know, he was getting this kind of really, really amazing international recognition. And, Of course, they were also supported locally by David Jones, who at that time was really thriving, you know, um, and was was such a wonderful place to walk into to, you know, kind of be spoilt by not just the customer service that they had on offer, but also the really exciting collection of uh, designers, local designers, and you could kind of see it all, you know, from Romance Was Born to Willow and even the other smaller boutiques that we had around that time too – you know, in Sydney, I know there's still Parlor X. In Melbourne, we had Fat, which was, you know, this just treasure trove of local, really creative designers. Alice Euphemia, I speak to the owner of um, of her store in the piece, and she talks about how she used to buy looking for designers that excited magic and nostalgia and things that a data set or an algorithm that we feed into a, a machine to tell us what to buy next doesn't necessarily, yes. <laughs> they haven't quite managed to get the AI that sophisticated, you know. I, I mean, I'm conscious as you yeah. describe that of, of of us now living in a time of, of sort of comparative austerity and plainness, I guess. I mean, that that, that sense of of lashing out on something intricate and high-end seems almost an impossibility for so many people now. Is is that one of the big things that's shifted? Yeah. You know, th- there's a few forces at play that, that kind of changed everything. So, obviously, we're living in a cost-of-living crisis now, so there's a, there's that. But is let's that? put that to one side. We <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, can't escape it. But so, you know, when... Most of those designers that I just described made in Australia and were able to do that because we had this really wonderful garment industry here. Now, only 3% of all the clothes that we sell here are actually made here, which is shockingly low. Um, that is, I mean, that, fourth, just pause on that figure. 3% is, yeah. I mean, that's, that's next to nothing. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And especially when we consider how many 
how many clothes we're importing. We're buying yeah. more clothes than ever before. It's a very sad figure, and I think it's a figure that we're going to see further decline, which is also its own kind of heartbreaking thing. And the reason for that is, you know, in 1990, tariffs that uh, on imported goods were at 55%. Hmm. And since, in the, the 20 years since, or, you know, kind of up until 2015, they steadily dropped. So in t- 2010, they're at 10%. Um, by 2015, they're at 5%. And now, thanks to some free trade agreements that have been passed, they're basically at zero. And we saw the impact that have on the garment industry almost immediately Initially, there was a kind of boom because designers could get things made more cheaply offshore. And so some of the Australian designers that I'm talking about took their manufacturing, you know, to China, to Vietnam, to Bangladesh, where they could get, you know, a a better cost price for their garments. But now, even in those countries, particularly in China, um, their wages are comparable and the cost of doing business there has increased. So, it's not as easy to get such intricate garments made. I'm friends with Kit Willow. One night we were at an art gallery um, opening and she raced up to a woman who was wearing one of her old designs. And it was this really incredible pleated silk top that had, you know, probably, I don't know, a thousand pleats all around the neck. And she, she was looking at it and talking to the woman. And when we walked away, she said, I couldn't get that made now. It would cost $15,000. And, you know, she was able to sell those kind of tops then for, you know, six or $700. And so that gives you an indication of kind of, of where we're at and how things have changed. Um, but the, there was a few other perfect storm moments. So 2010, mm. we have these tariffs drop. And then also, of course, we have the arrival of all of these stores. You've mentioned Uniqlo, H&M, Zara, you know, ASOS started shipping to Australia. And that was that's at the lower end of the fast fashion end and then at the higher end we also had the luxury brands open retail here so you know once upon a time <laughs> we had to get on a plane to visit europe and to go to these to, to go to these stores and it was one of the exciting things when I first went um, to London when I was 19 you know you had to go physically go into Topshop and walk into H&M to be able to access these clothes and now now they're on, you know, almost every corner of every city in the world. So, and and that has created this uniformity where it's much harder for individual cities to have uh, a sense of, you know, their own local garment industry because it's also the same. Well, <laughs> and, what um, you what you say there is significant. I mean, this isn't isn't just a thing about. Uh, an Australian set of designers and and manufacturers. This is a global phenomenon where. The, the Uniqlo's and the Zara's and the H&M's of, of the world become ubiquitous. They they come to dominate an entirely global market. They do. And and that is <laughs> and that's a shame. You know, I'm in I'm in Brussels at the moment. I'm doing some research for my next book and I I don't I'm not gonna go shopping while I'm here because What would be the I point? Know that the brand, <laughs> well, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so and it's and it's uh, I mean, there are some cities where they have 
a more interesting kind of clothing culture, not to throw any shade at Brussels, I'm, I'm sure it does, but, you know, it's not exciting to get to London, which is where I'm going next, uh, and to go and visit those stores anymore because not only do we have them in Australia, but we can also access anything we want online. And and that's really changed things too. So mm. for some designers, they think that was a good thing because it leveled out the playing field and, you know, it forced you to kind of step up and have to compete globally. But what it did also have a chilling effect, especially uh, on Australian design, because we lost the tariffs that were protecting our local designers and fostering, you know, this sense of creativity in industry um, back home. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a remarkably complex thing because the tariffs are not necessarily a good idea to introduce. To have a sort of protected economy is is an impossibility in this world. And yet, how then do you, in other ways, support and nurture that 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 creative sense in, in a country like Australia? That that you know, businesses like design and and the manufacturer of fashion bring. It's it's a very hard thing to arrange. It is. I was at Australian Fashion Week a few weeks ago, and I do believe that we have um, a really um, a good creative industry in the country where there is, you know, they, they showcased a lot of designers who are really making beautiful clothes, but there is a really big gap, and which was hard to see, between the designers who have commercial businesses mm. and who have a customer and who are surviving and making money, and the designers who have kind of the most creative output and the most unique point of view, and the, the their inability <laughs> to to grow a business the, the way they would have been able to. 15 to 20 years ago. It's not impossible because they also have the advantage of social media so they can go direct to their customers and to build that sense of audience. But there is, I feel, a real lack of that kind of um, midweight talent that's able to survive without investment. And uh, it's a very challenging environment to be coming up in. Plus, you've got these young designers who graduated, went straight into lockdown. You know, they, they haven't had yes, the experience. It's a tough time. That, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, there are bright spots. Alex Higgins, I think, is a, a really exciting young designer. You know, he he studied in Paris. Um, Jordan Gogos is another one. Um, I love the work that Bear Park does. SA Studios is probably the most advanced, I think, in terms of her technique and the quality of the garments that she produces and she manufactures in Australia. Um, but I feel for these designers because I think probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, their businesses would be much more advanced. And then, of course, you know, we have, you know, Dion Lee and Camilla and Mark and Age and um, Christopher Esba who have who do have really big, successful commercial businesses. I don't mean to paint a picture of it all being doom and gloom because mm. I don't think that's fair to the industry that's doing – you know, working really hard. Um, but it's important that we talk about this because it's something the article's gotten such a strong response because it's something that everybody's been looking at and wondering about uh, for a long time. And as you mentioned too, I mean, one of the interesting um, side victims in this, I guess, is is the larger department stores that used to offer that great range of, of, of designers um, within that one place. And I think almost took that on as this is what they did. They had that, this was a provision of opportunity and, and they have been of course, squeezed by this as well and, and pushed towards more you know, ubiquitous lines. Yeah, they have. And, you know, it's a bit of 
Uh, it's it's interesting to to think about the role that they used to play and how you know it meant it was a huge deal to get picked up by David Jones um, for those designers and the opportunity that it presented because of the quantities of orders that they could place. So your cash flow improved and you were able to kind of meet the minimum orders that the factories were asking for. Plus, then you got pushed out to their enormous audience through marketing channels and bus stops and runway parades and and all these things. It was a, a sense of being elevated. And you know, there's a number of forces that have come into play that have, again, I keep saying that, <laughs> but for the department <laughs> stores, true. it's also true. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they're also competing on, on a global stage. And, you know, when you look at the kind of transformation of the international department stores, say Selfridges, and the way that they've worked very hard to put really attractive cafes and champagne bars and open the windows <laughs> so you've got natural light coming in and to make it really feel like a, a place where you want to go and hang out. And right, every time I walk into, <laughs> I shouldn't be mean to them, but David Jones or Maya, I'm on a mission. I don't want to stay. I want to go and I want to get a new suitcase and I want to leave. And that's something that I think that sense of providing an experience in retail is that maybe we've missed the boat a little bit in Australia and it would serve us to, uh, to kind of revisit that I mean, we've seen the share price, the share price, the price of David Jones in I think it was 2015. They were bought for two billion, and they were just sold at the end of last year for a hundred million. And uh, you know, that's it's that's quite a steep decline in you know seven or eight years. And I think you know it's a shame for local designers because hmm. it means that they're also getting pinched. And so, instead of having a successful business, it's able to support them and carry them through. They're asked to financially contribute to marketing. They're asked to take stock back that doesn't sell. And uh, all of those pressures, if you know, you're know you a 27-year-old who's just starting out a business, can make things very, very hard and very stressful. And it should be. You know, there is great potential in this moment at the same time for local designers and, and, and things made with care as, as people turn against fast fashion as people turn against the disposability uh, of so much in fashion, to focus on design, to focus on the special is a real antidote to that. So there's there's this sort of sense of growing desire for, for Australian design in the midst of all of this. Yeah, I, I agree. And it presents this wonderful creative opportunity. Uh, so, you know, to be able to uh, have a commercial business that's also sustainable and, mm. you know, there are these wonderful little other avenues that you can go down. So it, it's not just about creating new clothes. You can value add by introducing services like rental or repair and resale and really kind of thinking about fashion like it can be a different model. There's there's grounds for optimism there in, in the midst of a story which has had its its ups and downs in, in recent decades, as you have so delightfully pointed out. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Lucian Tonti is a regenerative fashion researcher, writer and consultant. Uh, she is the author of Sundressed, Natural Fibres and the Future of Fashion. Uh, and we'll pop a link to that piece uh, from The Guardian that we've been talking about on the Blueprint page on the Radio National website. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.